This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, what's going on, everybody? Dapper Dividends number 70 in the house coming at you. Very special episode today. First off, I want to say happy birthday, Carl. Today is my brother Carl's 30th birthday, and he was born with spina bifida and autism. Well, they called it autism now. It was Asperger's syndrome for the longest time. And I love that kid. He has taught me a lot. We thought they, or they told us that he may never walk again, but man, he walked. He's had some surgeries. The kid's a trooper. The kid's taught me a lot about life. I call the kid, he's 30 years old today. I'm calling him the kid. That's because I'm his older brother. I was 12 years old when he was born. So I am the older brother. And just as I you'll hear in the in the episode, I said at the end, give thanks for something to the universe every single day, something that you can be thankful for. And without further ado, here is my interview on the Rituation Room. No song of the show tonight because I didn't even take time to think of one. I literally got done with this. So you'll have to figure one out or just enjoy the bevy and collection of songs that are already up on Dapper Dividends over on YouTube. All right, without further ado, here is myself on the Rituation Room tonight. All right, everybody, welcome. It's December 8th, 2020. Um, Russ, you're a busy man, but I'm very happy to finally connect with you, have you on the 28th episode of the Rituation Room. Thanks so much for doing this. You're welcome. Like that number. Both my daughters are born on the 28th, so good number. And today is my brother's 30th birthday. He's out in Wyoming. Where are you at, by the way? I'm down in Texas. Texas. Yeah, he's in yeah. Wyoming. I uh, actually I tweeted it out today. He uh he was born with spina bifida and Asperger's, which is the worst of both sides of our family. If I say my family, it's I have a stepfather and the spina bifida ran on his side and Asperger or autism it is now on my side and the kid got both and it's wow. just Hey, you know, he's made it 30 years. They didn't know if he was going to walk. He always says he's happy he can walk and there's people that can't walk. So if he can have that outlook, then man, we each have something to be thankful for when we get up in the morning. So there's always somebody that has it just a little bit worse than you do. I like that. That's an awesome way to start the podcast as we go into, and this is something I kind of talk about a lot at the end, but a lot of the finances when you're just talking numbers can seem a little bit all consuming, right? Cause it's all kind of based around money, but I think it's very important to be grounded on that kind of stuff. So I really like that intro. Uh, we have Russ from Dapper Dividends. We're going to get a, into a little bit of the YouTube channel going forward here, but for those who aren't familiar with you, just give us a little bit of a breakdown about kind of who you are, your backstory and the steps you took to kind of get to where you are today. Absolutely. Well, I guess I'm the new kid on the block. And I say that jokingly, as I am 42 years old, 42 years young. I, when coronavirus hit and we were in March, we weren't going anywhere. Everything was shut down. So I just wanted to go ahead and do something different, do something that I'd been seeing other people do, which were, I kind of threw everything at the wall, doing a YouTube channel, a podcast, a website. Um, What else? Just anything to 
finally do it and had some time on my hands and it's good. It's been a, a pretty steep learning curve, especially with the YouTube channel. That's quite a bit of work. The podcast, really easy. It's a lot easier to pump those out. And so that's what I've been doing. I, like I said, I am 42. I'm from Chicago. Got my Blackhawks hat on. I was born and raised here, except for the uh, three years that I was in the United States Navy. You were in the Air Force, weren't you? Yes. Did, mm -hmm. Are yeah. you still in or you were? No, I am, yeah, I'm currently in the Air Force. I'm currently in. Well, thank you for yeah. your service. Thank yeah, you. thank you. I left home. I, I joined when I was 17, actually. I did a three-year wow. enlistment. I don't know if they still allow those anymore. Do you know, did you have that option when you, when you enlisted? I'm not sure. I went through a commissioning source um, through college. So. Oh, oh, so you're, you're not enlisted then. I'm not. No. Nice. That, hey, that's the way to go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the officers are the rock stars. I always said they're the ones that, uh, especially I was on an aircraft carrier, the USS John C. Stennis and the pilots, man, the, they were the rock stars of the boat. They got the, the white glove treatment all the way around. <laughs> And it was deservedly so. For me to get on there, I had to go through, what, three months almost of boot camp. And for them to get on there, they went through um, the Naval Academy, through whatever, their flight school, their hour. They had all kinds of stuff. I think right. somebody told me it was, what, seven or eight years or so before they were even flying. And yeah, so um, yeah, congratulations. That's that's a good way to go. So yeah, I did my time in the Navy, uh, picked up some skills. Some uh, I worked on weapons elevators, by the way. I was in the G4 division. Um, there was nine uh, elevators that carried ordnance, missiles, rockets, bombs from the magazines to the uh, hangar deck, and then from the hangar deck to the flight deck. And I worked and maintained those elevators. So I learned uh, hydraulics, welding, working with tools, and I got out and kind of fell into the industry I'm in now, which is the commercial loading dock and door industry. Um, basically, they're warehouses, wherever you see a semi-trailer, what it backs up to, anything that it touches is pretty much what I work on. The ramps mm. that load it, the doors, the uh, enclosures that keep the weather and elements out of the truck when they're loading it, just all that stuff. And, you know, I still joke around that I'm, I'm, looking to see what I want to do. I'll just do this for a little bit. And it's been uh, just past 21 years doing, uh, doing this kind of work. Wow. And yeah, family, I have two, two daughters ages. Um, well, they're ages there. Well, the other, my youngest, her birthday is in a couple weeks, uh, December 28th. She will be 12 and the other one is 13. So they're 15 months apart. And that was enough. We, we didn't <laughs> intend on the second one to come. And actually, funny story, she was, uh, I ended up delivering her unplanned at home. Wow. My, my first daughter was 15 months old and in her high chair eating breakfast. And Jeez. Yeah, my wife <laughs> knew, you know, she knew it was time and she wanted to shower because how they are. She didn't want to be, um, I don't know, dirty. And she wants to try and use the bathroom and not to get too gross. But <laughs> she said, something's not right. I went in there and I saw my daughter's crown of her head and she wanted to get up go to the hospital i'm like nah we i, I panicked called 911 and i don't know if you experienced this in your training in the military they said don't panic whenever there's a troubled situation happening stay calm because the more you panic the more likelihood there is that something will go wrong for sure so i did my best to keep a level head and i panicked a little bit you know we took turns panicking my wife and i but yeah 
had 911 on the phone. And I think I asked her about three dozen times, where are they? Why aren't they here yet? But my daughter came quick from the time that I called till the paramedics got here. I think it was eight, seven or eight minutes. Wow, it, man. It felt like seven or eight hours to me. And by the time they got here, I was, you know, holding my daughter. That's crazy. Up in towels and um, yeah, so I, you know, she's, she hates it that she was born in a bathroom, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was better there than on the side of the road. For and, sure. Uh, yeah, that's it. My wife and I have been, uh, just celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary and 20 years together. We took our daughters to Las Vegas a few weeks ago. We love traveling. I've had the wanderlust ever since I've been in the Navy and uh, yeah, I've been rambling, but that's, <laughs> that's the condensed version of, I guess, uh, of me. Well, those are some pretty awesome highlights from <laughs> serving on the flight deck in the Navy to delivering your daughter. What along that road led you to be interested in finance and investing? Kind of what, when did that happen and uh, how has that developed? So I've always had an interest in finance. My grandfather was basically my father. My biological dad left when I was less than a year old. My mother was 20 and my dad was 19. And they got married, tried to make it work. And this was 1978 and it didn't work out for them. He split and we moved in with my grandparents. And basically my grandfather was the father figure in my life. So he was always big into finance and telling me to save and to, um, I always heard him talking about stocks. He always had the news on, would be looking at his stocks in the paper. And unfortunately, and I don't know why, I never really asked him too much about it. And he never explained it. He used to tell me save 10% of your income, but he never told me the difference or taught me the difference between saving and investing. And I kind of found out the hard way. Um, so he, yeah, he passed away in 2005 at 93. So I have longevity in my family, which is good because I tell my wife, I'm going to be really disappointed if I don't make it to 100. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I always thought I had an interest. I used to think I knew what I was looking at with stock tickers and I would get the newspaper and look through the business section, but I never really had anybody explain anything to me and I didn't have a plan or a goal. And I would say it was about 2015, 2016-ish, I came across, um, it must have been 16, when Robin Hood was still really young in its infancy. I, um, I got on Robin Hood and thought, uh, <laughs> thought I could trade penny stocks because they were cheaper. And I thought I was going to be a penny stock millionaire. I bought a, or I, I borrowed a few books from the library on penny stocks and it didn't work out. Tried swing trading. I found out that I am not a very good trader. I can't control my emotions. What I do is I pull my stops. I get emotional. I, when I'm down, I keep thinking it's going to come back and bounce up. And when I'm up, I'm greedy and I don't want to get out because I keep thinking it's going to go higher. So it wasn't too long until I found dividend growth investing, which is what I've come to love and embrace. That was, I'd say I, I flirted with it around 2017. I remember buying a couple shares of AT&T and thinking like, well, this is great. I'm holding it for 90 days and I get a whole, uh, whatever at the time, 47 cents per share. And I'm watching other things just blow up. So I tried going back to swing trading and it just then I went full, full into it, started looking up people on YouTube, uh, like your Ian Lopik, um, came across Andre Jick, those guys, uh, Graham Steven, even Graham Steven, even so <laughs> we, that, yeah. And then I, I saw those guys and 
podcasts. I, when I work, I listen to podcasts. So I'm, I'm, I read audiobooks at least two a week and I'm always listening to podcasts because I just love that information hitting my brain and seeing what I can retain. And um, yeah, so then just got really heavy into trying to get out of debt. Uh, the biggest thing is not having a plan. For the longest time, I didn't have a plan. I was just doing what everybody else was doing, just working. And I had a 401k set up through work and it was really stale. I remember going to Morningstar and just getting the three or four best funds that are in American funds. And that's what my money was in. And I did, I think 5% I had going into it for years. And it's, um, yeah. So anyway, I just bumped that up, paid off all our debts, except for the mortgage, which is the last one I'm attacking every week. I pay money to the mortgage because wow. I want it done and gone, but also balancing while investing because as uh, Graham Stephen is an advocate of is paying the minimum to the mortgage and investing the rest because the interest rates are so low that after you deduct inflation, he says it's basically uh, free money that they're loaning you, but it's still, it's still a debt. And my goal is to own my house, not to buy it. And that's, um, I don't know, that's a very convoluted and long answer, which I tend to do. So uh, yeah, I'm basically trying to get my debt paid off and I am investing in dividend growth stocks that I'm constantly tweeting about and talking about on my YouTube channel and my podcast and wherever else anyone will hear me. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think the, uh, the life cycle of you as an investor is one that I've heard a bunch of times and one I can resonate with as well, where you first get interested in it, you're taking a look online, you see a lot of people with the flashy things, the flashy advertisements talking about penny stocks and swing trading and day trading. And um, the reality is very few people can be consistently oh, successful yeah. doing that. And when you really get into it, this was something where I had to take a step back when I was attempting the day trading and swing trading. I remember thinking, I was like, okay, this isn't working. Luckily, I didn't blow up any accounts or lose a ton of money, but I knew it wasn't going to be sustainable. And I kind of told myself, I was like, well, I, I love the stock market and I love following businesses, but I don't want to give this up. And it was like, part of me didn't even realize I could just be a long-term investor. And then once that clicked and I was like, oh, wow, I can invest in these companies and hold them for more than two hours or, oh, <laughs> or, yeah. or 40 minutes. It was like this light bulb moment where I was like, all right, this is it. And this is kind of the, uh, the next step for me. And that's what's been big for me is to know that I don't ever have to sell if I don't want to. Uh, just companies like Johnson & Johnson buying and holding and not only holding, but thinking that one day I could potentially pass these down to my grandkids if I ever do have any. Man, that suits me so well not having to sell because as I told you, I am just a terrible trader. And funny thing, I, I just three weeks ago, I bought two call options for AT&T. They expire on June 18th. What I like to do is when I, I dabble with options trading and I like to have a thesis and have it time to play out. So I like to go six, seven, eight months down the line. I've tried doing the short ones because they're cheaper, they're less expensive, but you don't have enough time to let your thesis play out and you kind of have to get lucky. So I bought these two uh, AT&T options, call options for June 18th for $30. And Man, I bought it when AT&T, T as I like to call it when I have my T, bought uh, AT&T down at the $27 range. And today it's almost 31. Bought those for 85 cents times 100, so $85 each. And they're already 
way up. But the thing is, I told myself, okay, when it doubles in price, I'm going to take my money out of one and keep the other one free. And I didn't yeah. do that. That day was today. And again, I just, I couldn't do it. I, I'm so terrible at it. And I had to call my wife and she's like, well, I like money. You should let her ride, <laughs> you know? So I can blame it on her then if it doesn't work out. But uh, I think I'll go for a uh, hundred. So 170 bucks I put in initially. I'll think I'll, uh, once I hit 170, I'll take, take that out of one of them. And then we'll hopefully let the other one ride. But yeah, we'll it's, see. it's house money after that, right? Absolutely. Um, well, very good. Let's talk a little bit about the actual specific investing that you do. So mm-hmm. it's evident that dividends are kind of your go-to. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to us about why that is and what you're looking for when you're building your portfolio. Passive income. Like I'm sure most people talk about it. I'm looking for, well, so my ultimate goal is to have work be optional. I don't know if I will still do what I'm doing. After 21 years, I like it because I get to travel. As I said, I have wanderlust and this gives me an opportunity. I go all over the Chicagoland area, uh, different town, different building almost every day. Some days I go to four different buildings in a day, four different companies. I get to travel quite a bit. And my goal is to have work be optional, to not And again, once work's optional, so I want passive income covering all my bills and to have no debt. That's kind of my two waypoints that I want to hit. And once those are hit, I may continue to keep doing this. I don't know. It's kind of in my blood, obviously, after all these years. So again, once I found dividend investing, I don't have to sell and they pay me cash money. That money just keeps coming and building and reinvesting. And when you look at dividends compared to the rest of the market over the long term, they have with the dividends reinvested, they have such a bigger trajectory than all the other areas that you could invest into. So yeah, man, I just, yeah, I love it. It just, it fits me. I don't have to sell and they pay me and it's truly passive income because I worked for that money and now I'm having that money go to work for me. I like to say it's like an army of dollars that's just self-replicating. They're just going to keep growing. And with, with companies that make the world go around, uh, Jason Fieber, I'm not sure if you're aware of Jason Fieber. I'm a big fan of his. Um, yeah, he's companies that make the world go around. That's, that's what I'm investing in. So uh, but I do nibble. I do nibble with like Neo is one of mine that I, I talk quite a bit about. And when I see sometimes companies like that, I'll throw some money into it. Neo hit and then Aurora Cannabis I bought kind of around the same time. That didn't do so well. <laughs> and again, I haven't sold. So I'm down like 90% on Aurora Cannabis. And uh, that's just, you know, so, I, but that's money. I, I, I don't really gamble much. So that's money to, I just went to Vegas, of course. Right. But uh, yeah, so I don't really gamble a lot and that's um, yeah, what we're saying. So that's where, that's kind of my goal is what I'm headed toward. And like you said, with the long-term investing, what, what I love is it gives me something every morning to purposefully wake up for that I am striving toward. And I think you're kind of look at it like if you're on a road somewhere, you're going to a final destination that you have in mind, you may take detours or, you know, you're still going in that general direction, but you're allowed to tweak and reassess every month or three months, maybe change lanes, maybe get off here for gas, whatever you need. Um, But yeah, I, you know, I'm not adverse to changing. If I see something I'm doing wrong, I can admit it. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's the long answer to what I forget the question is. (laughs) 
So what are you actually looking for specifically when, and I, we don't need a full breakdown of your portfolio. People, sure, people sure. can go over to your channel for yep. uh, some more details, but what are you looking for specifically when you are looking for a stock to either add or continue to build that position on? I'm looking for, as we already covered, a company I know that people are dependent on, that the world is dependent on. Uh, look for them to have a decent economic moat. I look for them to have a very nice yield. Traditionally, I'm looking for over two and a half percent of a starting yield. Obviously, when you buy in, the your yield on cost is um, is going to keep going up the longer that you stay into it. Because when I buy companies that grow their dividend, which is another check mark I like to hit, is I like at least seven percent compound annual growth rate over a five year period. Um, I think that's healthy. Um, yeah, so I look for. A, it, it, as you said, you can get really in depth and really into the weeds on it. And people sometimes tend to overcomplicate it, but really that's it. Companies that make the world go around paying a stable growing dividend and uh, having enough cash flow to keep sustaining the growth of that dividend. Um, and then yield. I, I like, I like a nice yield, but that's further down the line. Some people, that's the first thing they look at, but I would tell any new investor, don't look at yield as the very first thing you get into trouble. I know when I first started this, I, I hit into some yield traps myself. Um, yeah, so just, I mean, really, it's really that simple. I mean, those are, that's really the, the base level of what I look for in dividend growth companies. Do you, some dividend investors talk about scheduling out the stocks you buy based off of when they typically will pay out their dividend? Is that something you care about at all with kind of a schedule within the calendar? Is it just more so, hey, this is the amount of money I'm going to receive each year and I can obviously divvy it up by 12 to pay monthly bills and that kind of thing? Yeah, I can save. I'm a, I'm a pretty good saver. So uh, yeah, I don't, I pay no attention to that at all. I do. Now I did tweet out that uh, there was this morning, actually, I used the Div Tracker app and it shows you, it has a monthly calendar and then all the company logos that are paying you for that month. And just as a way it lines up, this month, December is a really heavy month. I have a lot of companies paying me and you know, next month I think is pretty sparse, but it really doesn't bother me. I mean, especially now, maybe once I have a fixed income, but then I'll just save it. I mean, I don't, yeah, just like you said, divide by 12. It's, yeah. that's all I'll do. We've kind of alluded to it uh, a little bit, and this year has been certainly interesting uh, in the market. Uh, as a core dividend investor, how do you kind of stay true to yourself when you see a lot of these companies with, you know, some of them not even with a product on the line being bought by people that are just multiplying at these crazy numbers, um, some more legitimate than others, right? And, and yep. some actually do have the potential, but I have a feeling not all of them will last. Uh, how do you kind of stick to your conviction when historically speaking, this year has not been great for value stocks, which typically end up being dividend payers uh, versus a lot of these more tech growth stocks? Well, it's uh, a lot of it. I think the market people are not, and this may be because of the influx of retail investors through obviously apps like Re Webull and Robinhood. A lot of people aren't looking at valuations. They're not looking at companies that don't make money. I have a really hard time, unless it's speculative. If a company doesn't make money, then you are speculating that one day they will. So I like to divide in between investing and speculating. Now, companies like you made me think of Nicola. Uh, yeah, they're one that 
it's insane. They don't even have a, a product rolling off the line and everybody's already deeming them as this great thing. I would just, you know, I, you may miss out, but I would rather wait to invest in companies that make money and can show they have solid and consistent cash flow. Obviously, maybe that's because I'm a little bit older and I don't have as much uh, time, I guess. Well, we all have time, but it's, it's not that hard for me, really. I dip my toe, like I said, into companies like Neo every once in a while. When I see something that, that pikes my interest, they, um, yeah, I mean, we're, uh, I'm not worried about it, I guess. There's always companies that are going to be moonshots yeah. and people have, they're not rationally thinking. The market right now is very irrational with companies having just such insane multiples of earnings. And it was never like that years and years ago. And it's just increasing. And I don't know, maybe that's a bubble in and of itself uh, with a retail investor bubble of sorts could be. We'll see, time will play out. But, you know, I'm just going to plant my flag. And again, companies like Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, they're boring. And again, famously Warren Buffett said, most people don't want to get rich slow. So yeah. I keep, I repeat that to myself you know, him, he's got something there. People don't want to get rich slow. And it's in our human nature to want things fast and quick. And now because, you know, evolutionarily, we didn't know what was going to happen the next day. A lot of people didn't make it past 30. So, um, but yeah, so I keep, I try to remind myself of the great investors saying, get rich slow. And if you're investing and it's boring, you're doing something right. So <laughs> I like that. I think, uh, Reverting back to Warren Buffett's wisdom every once in a while is probably a good way to stay grounded. Um, how do you look at the different sectors of the stock market? Is that something you look at when you're when you're choosing your different stocks, or are you really just looking for solid companies, uh, really with with really not really caring which sector they're in? Is that something you pay attention to? No, I really just try to look for companies that are undervalued, and I'm diversified across all sectors. I may be a little bit heavier in one sector as opposed to another. But honestly, I don't really pay that much attention to it. If a company is solid and a company is paying that growing dividend, you know, I, I'll just, I'll buy them, especially when they're, you know, quote unquote, undervalued, then I will buy them. And I don't, yeah, I don't really look for sectors. Uh, now, you know, they're on Finviz, which is a popular platform everybody uses. There is a sector screener or a sector heat map, and you can break it down by the year or month or even the week or the day to see which sector is the worst performing. And I have used that in the past to look to see if there's any good values within that sector. Uh, oh, a good one is the, the financial sector. The banks brought that entire sector down and within it are two of my favorites that I've been buying quite a bit of are Prudential and MetLife. MetLife is a newer position for mine, but they have been brought down by the banks in the whole sector. And a lot of people are overlooking them because they associate them with the banks and they're not right. going to have the same amount of regulation that the banks have that they cap their dividends that um, the federal government capped uh, um, their dividends. So I think there's tremendous growth potential in the insurance companies, especially since with everybody being home and there's less driving and everybody's washing their hands, uh, I think their payouts are less and they're going to be less for quite some time with people trying to be safer, I think. So, uh, but yeah, so that's a, that's a way that I, I do look at it. And then I was looking at other insurance companies and um, I guess other non-banking companies within the financial sector that is really red 
uh, over the last year as an entire sector. Yeah, that's that's actually something I haven't really thought about. Um, because obviously, when you think financials, you're going to think about the big banks, and they're kind of the ones that take the hit, especially during times like now. And I'm sure a lot of those, you know, companies that aren't directly involved with the big banks are kind of caught in the, the crosshairs a little bit as well, just due to the nature of, of kind of the whole uh, influence that's going on within that industry itself. So um, that's, yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, when you're actually looking for these buying opportunities, do you kind of schedule out that, you know, you, I'm putting this much into my portfolio every week, regardless of what's going on in the market? Are you more of trying to find good opportunities and timing it or maybe a combination of the two? I'd say maybe a combination of the two. So I have a set amount that I put in every single week. As soon as I get paid that night, I schedule my money to go into my Schwab account and then I just buy. I buy like normal. I buy dollar cost averaging that in because as you said, I, you know, we can't time the market. We don't know what's going to happen. And this, this has been crazy. I never would have imagined this. I wish I would have known because I would have dumped even more money back in uh, March and April. But when I do see something like that, <clears throat> I do put more money into it. When I saw McDonald's, when that was in the 150s and 160s, I was buying heavy. And then a week later, it's in the 130s. And I felt like, I, I was like, oh, are you kidding me? So then I had to pull more money. And I think I pulled a little money out of our emergency fund, which is traditionally a no-no. But, um, you know, nothing crazy. And yeah, I like it, by the way, I like to keep three to six months of our expenses in an emergency fund, which is, it sucks right now because the, the savings rate is so stupidly low. It's not even worth it. Every month yeah. when I look at what I got, you know, in interest for what I have in there, it's, it's a joke really, but anything that's lost to inflation, I like to say is the premium paid to have that money readily ready and available to, to us, to us to have in case life happens. And it took that, that was kind of a mental trick for me is that our emergency money is not an investment that is insurance money for life happening, the unpredictable, the black swan. But back to your question. Yeah, I don't, uh, I just dollar cost average in, don't try and time it. And if the market's down or one particular stock took a hit on some temporary news and it looks really attractive, then I'll uh, put more money than normal into it. I like it. Uh, we talked a lot about traditional industries and for better or worse, there's a lot of disruptive technology kind of infiltrating a lot of these areas. Um, what, if anything, do you see? We talked a little bit about the EV bubble potentially or the retail investor bubble, I guess. Um, what, if anything, do you see as the potential to kind of take over as the next, you know, internet internet phase, or uh, it looks like electric vehicles might kind of be that next thing. Is there anything going on in the market right now where you can kind of see through the smoke and uh, you have some good conviction and thinking that, you know, this might actually take a good stronghold in the, in the economy in the next five to 10 years? The only thing that comes to the top of my head is the internet of things, the inter interconnectivity of devices. They talk about your entire house is going to be on your smartphone, everything from your HVAC to your washer and dryer, your refrigerator, your whatever you have that's electric in your house is going to be quote unquote smart one day and you will all have it right there in the palm of your hand. So um, I guess that and then I think the, the Bitcoins, the cryptocurrencies, I like that. I do have some. Um, I think that's, that is probably the most disruptive thing that 
I don't know if we'll see in our lifetime. Things do move pretty quickly now with technologies and things that come out of nowhere and seem to revolutionize the world almost overnight. But I, I would say the internet of things and the cryptocurrencies, I don't know. I, unfortunately, I had a chance to buy some Bitcoin when it was about five, $600. And I listened to a gold bug. So this is one of my biggest mistakes I'll tell you about. In 2015, I list 2014, 15, I wanted to, I was listening to a, a famous gold bug, I won't say his name. And he convinced me that the market was going to collapse even harder. And you should pull your money out, the market was going to collapse, not me personally, just something I was listening to. So I did it, I pulled like six, seven grand out of my retirement account and I wanted to put it either into gold or Bitcoin. So I had these two options and I remember I was sitting with my wife and we were talking about it and she even said, you know, I explained to her gold and how it's, uh, it's not an investment, but it is a store of wealth. It helps you leapfrog inflation. And then there's this Bitcoin that I was just becoming aware of. And I said, this is really cool, but it just bothers me that you need electricity for it to work. And I'm big on like, what if there was an EMP, uh, yeah. electromagnetic pulse, and it knocked out the entire, the entire grid. I said, the Bitcoin, we can't do anything with it, but we can trade, you know, gold or silver for food or something we need to live. So I went with gold and, and I bought it around $1,700 an ounce. And I had to watch it go all the way down to about 1100 an ounce as Bitcoin just kept going up and up. And uh, she still won't let me live that one down. But yeah, but she, you know. So anyway, I, I could have bought Bitcoin there. But I think Bitcoin is fantastic. I do have some now. I have a few other cryptocurrencies. And just enough that if it blows up and does become the reserve currency of the world that every person on the planet uses, I will have enough to be really happy. But if it is replaced by something and it goes to zero overnight, um, you know, yeah, it'll suck, but I'm not losing sleep over it. That's, that's, uh, I don't remember somebody I heard say that once that you should invest in cryptocurrency, whatever lets you sleep easy at night. If you have trouble falling asleep, at night worrying about the price of the Bitcoin or cryptos, you've got too much money into it. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I hold Bitcoin as well. And it's not a large enough position that I would be, you know, crying on the floor if it goes to zero, but it's enough where if it does do what it looks like, uh, you know, a lot of people are speculating will do, then, then we'll both be pretty happy guys. So, um, <laughs> and amazingly, it doesn't really take that much, uh, you know, um, based off of what the potential is. So that risk return, I think is, makes it worth anybody even looking into, even if you're a hater, um, you know, take a look and, and do your research. And if you don't believe in the technology, maybe just believe in the uh, potential kind of going forward. Is yeah, and I, I dollar sense. cost average into that too. Same, same thing. I'll do not as much. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's funny. I'll be working and all of a sudden I'll just get that. It's like, I should buy some Bitcoin. Let's pull out my phone and go on the <laughs> app and just buy 50 bucks worth. No, I don't even look at what price it is. I just yeah. oop, 50 bucks done. Add it to the, uh, add it to the wallet. <laughs> yep. I do the same thing. I kind of like that it's just so ridiculously volatile that yeah. it's like, if, if you try and time this thing, you know, you could, if you're off by a minute and you're looking at the price every second, you could be kicking yourself. So in a weird way, I kind of like that because it's just like, I'm just going to keep buying. And you know, this, this is not in, in my re, or, uh, thesis, this is by no means the peak. So I shouldn't really care if it goes down, you know, a yeah, thousand dollars by tomorrow. If you're waiting for a dip, well, who's selling? 
yeah <laughs> if everybody's holding and, and waiting then nobody's selling it's not going to go down yeah that's a very good point um the market has been crazy so like you said we could have never predicted this year to happen uh for me it was the first time i've really seen a true market i guess we call it flash crash or you know uh, a serious downturn where we got down i think about 35 percent on the s p mm-hmm. um and I think it taught me a lot of lessons to go all the way through that and get back to where we are today. I think in some ways we are very lucky that we had the V-shaped recovery. Uh, But what are some of the lessons that you have learned from this one? And maybe does it compare to anything you've seen in the past or we all think about this time happening. And then when it actually does happen, it's a little bit different than when you're thinking back to 2008 or 2000 or something like that. Yeah. So I, I obviously was, uh, was working and I went through the 08 and 09 and I wasn't in it like I am now, but I do remember I read the newspaper, I watched the news and I remember I was working, I was, you know, I was working and eating. So um, didn't really bother me that much, but this one, when we were at our low point, I was very comfortable, surprisingly, obviously I didn't know it was going to recover this quick, but it just reinforced that what I'm doing is right. And it's just very comfortable. I feel very, very warm and fuzzy with what I'm, with what I'm doing because other people were panicking and my, uh, my friend's mom was saying like, are you still invest? She's like, you got to sell, sell it. You're going to lose. And I was like, no, I'm, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And I tried showing her on my phone how during 08, 09, like uh, McDonald's and Johnson and Johnson and these companies kept, they increased their dividend while the, you know, she didn't get it, but it, it taught me that I'm very comfortable. And if we, and actually I was hoping it was going to stay down for quite some time. Cause to me, it was, akin to being in a store where everything just flash yeah. went on sale and I was, I needed more money. I was, you know, like, kid, don't let the sale end. I got more money coming. Just wait, hold on. Yeah. Don't, don't end it yet. And then it started going back up and it's, you know, I've bought all the way up, bought all the way down, but yeah, at the low point, very comfortable, very, um, it was very easy. Yeah. I think, um, obviously the recovery portion has not been as conducive for value stocks and dividend stocks and a lot of the high growth stocks. But I do remember when we were going downhill, being a lot more comfortable with the value stocks that I held than some of the other guys, right? It's like during those times of turmoil is when I think being a value or or a dividend, even a dividend growth investor is where, you know, that's where that's a really good position to be in is kind of my point of view. I don't know if you have anything to add on that. Yeah. So actually when I buy, I'm not as concerned with the, I almost look at it as a sunk cost that I'm buying a small stream of income from that company and I can never get the share back. So if that makes sense, as long as they are paying the dividend and slowly increasing it, uh, even in times of turmoil, uh, Procter and Gamble and Apple both increased their dividends during that timeframe. What March, uh, April, May, I think they increased so I, I don't worry that much about the overall, actually, I was focusing more not on my account, but on the dividend income I had mm. coming in. And that was actually growing. So that was going up because I was getting so many stocks on sale and I was buying their income streams. So that's just the way I look at it. That's a good uh, mental thing for me to look at it as I'm not owning a share and a share price. I'm owning a stream of income from that company. Yeah. And there's, to me anyway, there's, there's peace of mind knowing that, you know, if there's turmoil in the world, 
people will still be buying products for John, from Johnson and Johnson, really whether they like it or not, but they might not need the new MacBook or the new iPhone. Uh, and this is all coming from a place of, you know, obviously Apple and a lot of these tech companies are amazing companies that have kind of their fingers in so many pots now that they might almost be indestructible. But when things are really bad, there are certain companies that, you know, without a doubt, people have to continue to use. Yep. Yeah, that, that, it, it's, it's really just as simple as that. And that's, that's my philosophy behind it. Not as fun, but again, if, you're, <laughs> if it's boring and you're getting rich slow, you're doing something right. Yeah. Uh, I think another interesting point that you talked about was how you felt kind of cool, calm and collected when the crash did happen. Obviously, the people I talk to on this podcast are financially literate and they're very involved in this world. So they may be the outliers. But one of my things that I've thought about is because information is so readily available now, if you go to Google and you probably search, you know, should I sell my stocks? Some of the first results are going to be YouTube videos from those guys that you've talked about before talking oh, yeah. about why you shouldn't sell your stocks, where even in 2008, if you go back to 2000, just without the same information available, I would imagine what you're seeing on the news screen about the stock market, all red, you know, negative 5%. Uh, doom and gloom caused people to panic a little bit more than it does now. So I actually think people were more comfortable because of the historical data they had available to them. Uh, something I kind of noticed. Yeah. Benjamin Graham has a, a quote in uh, the intelligent investor that I love is that when the talking heads on the media are saying the market crashed, it's it's down 30%. He says, you look at it as the market is 30% less expensive than it was yesterday or last month or whatever the time frame is. It's just such a beautiful way to look at it. You're getting something on sale. And especially as you said, when you're buying or when I'm buying quality and value, then it's a, it's a sale and I won't, uh, I won't hesitate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we talked about this in the beginning and another portion I want to take a little bit of time to talk about is more of on the lines of kind of personal development. And uh, I know it's something that you recently started on your channel with your daily knowledge drops. I think it's a really <laughs> cool thing that you're doing. Yep. Uh, first off, just talk to us about what the daily knowledge drop thing that you're doing is and what motivated you to start that. So it's uh, two things. I've been increasing uh, my output. I've been doing, this is our busy time at year or at work really busy, really crazy. Yeah. And I figured I can throw my phone on the, 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 uh, the rear view mirror and just, boom, I hit record. I say, you know, a couple minutes of something, anything I want to talk about and come home and just upload it real quick. And I had kind of been thinking, I wish I could do that more. There is a, uh, podcaster I listen to who's a libertarian, uh, Jason Stapleton. And he, um, I've been listening to him for, for years, probably for four or five years now. And he's about my age, ex-Marine, uh, entrepreneur, businessman. And he actually said he wanted to, or, oh no, that's what it, he watched a documentary about a, a husband and wife that were in a band. And I don't, I think it just came out. I don't know the name of it. And they decided that they'd been in this two person band for about 10 years it wasn't going very well. They were kind of stuck. So they said, what if we do something crazy and we just play one show every day, 365 days for the entire year. They apparently did little high school gymnasium. They would stop on the side of the road and play for construction workers, anybody they could play for. And at the end of it, they sold out a 10,000 uh, seat 
stadium or small, uh, small arena. So he's a content creator as well. And he said, what if uh, I challenge myself and all of you to do, we do one piece of content uh, for the whole year for next year. And, and I don't like to wait. So I, uh, I took, <laughs> I took it literally and started that on the, on the, four yeah four days ago yeah so it's uh, i just i got one i'll be uploading after here that i did today working in chicago and i have the uh green mill behind me the green mill lounge very famous i was working at a, a post office a couple doors down from that uh mobster hangout al capone days uh famous here in chicago so <laughs> i say that my wife's it was giving me uh giving me crap because of my last video I had my Marion Hosa hockey jersey on. And she said, why'd you say that like that? I said, what? She said, hockey. I'm like, what? That's how you say it. She's like, only if you're from Chicago, you say it like that. And uh, funny thing, being in the military, do you meet people from all over the place? Yeah, I do. You do. I had more than more than a handful of people come up to me when I was on the boat. We called it the ships, the boat, and say, where in Chicago are you from? Because <laughs> I had that much of an accent. They'd say, your accent. I'm like, I don't have an accent. You have an accent. Yeah. That's that funny. was cool. I missed, I missed that camaraderie, meeting people from, especially on the carrier with 6,000 people when we had the air wing on board. Strong representation from all 50 states and the Philippines. We had a lot of people from the Philippines. Uh, in the Navy too, which I never would have expected. Yeah, I, I heard a funny story. I forget who was telling it. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Jocko Wilnick. Mm-hmm. Or I think that's how you say his last name. But yep, he was talking about... The SEAL. The SEAL, yeah. Yep, he was saying one of the cool things about uh, the military life is, you know, you go through basic training or boot camp uh, and you become really good friends with a lot of these people around you. But you didn't meet them until you were all shaved heads wearing uniforms and so he was saying, like, it's really funny to see the first night out that people are allowed to go out and wear their own clothes, because you'll see like a dude from the inner city, best friends with a guy from the cornfields of Nebraska, you know, when in, you know, day to day life, odds are they probably wouldn't have met up and become best friends. But just because of what you go through, and there's no predisposition of judging somebody before you kind of see them in that, that that light. So it's, it's kind of a cool thing, man. You said it, you remind me of a story. I remember uh, going on shore leave one time when we were in Dubai and it was the funniest thing because in weapons department, there was two guys I knew and one guy, I think his name was Brody and he was from Montana and he had, we were all dressed up to go out on town and he had on the big cowboy hat and the, the big belt buckle. And he was talking to this other guy. Um, uh, C- uh, Cisneros was his name. And he was a, a cholo from, from LA, East LA. And he's got the Chuck Taylors on and the Dickies. And it's funny, they're standing next to each other talking. And I remember he says, uh, he's like, Matt, could eat Thanksgiving dinner off that belt buckle? <laughs> it's so, I forgot all about that. And you are right. Yeah. And it's that, it's that weird thing that if they saw each other in public, they didn't know each other. They wouldn't even give each other the time of day. But here they are. They're, you know, chumming it around. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, I want to talk about two of the specific things so far that you've done on your daily knowledge drops. I'm sure there'll be a lot more to come. Um, but one that I've heard in my profession, and it sounds like you probably did as well, uh, is to praise in public and correct in private. Uh, kind of give us a quick explanation of what that means and why that's so important. And this is really coming from the, the I mean, I guess it come from anything, but typically it's going to come from the aspect of being a, in some type of leadership role. Yep. So as I said, that was uh, 
it wasn't defined that way, but I experienced it as my stepfather. I, I'm estranged from him now. My mother divorced him. I don't see him anymore. But him and I, we, uh, I, I wasn't his. So he kind of took a lot of things out on me. Nothing very physical, but it just, it wasn't, he used to scream at me. He used to love screaming at me and call me names in front of people. We could be anywhere. And we could, I remember we would be looking uh, at a hardware store. And if I didn't grab the right thing, you would, you know, you idiot, you stupid idiot in front of people. And I remember feeling about that big. And, and then when I got into the Navy and I made petty officer, which is E4, which is the first, um, I guess, leadership role. And I went through petty officer training. They, they beat that into our heads. They said, don't, don't uh, chastise people in, in public. If you have to correct them, you pull them aside where people can't hear. You go into another room and you do it because it just, it is not, uh, it's not good for morale. And then I've just done that with my kids. I've, anytime I have to correct them, I'd never yell and scream. You know, I've seen other parents yell and scream in, at kids in front of people. And, and it's just, you know, I hate that. So, but just stuff like that. That's all I want to do. And, you know, my channel's small and growing, which is fine, but just to have that out there. And if one person hears something I say and it can help them make them think, um, that's, that's really all I want to do. If, if one person can get something of value and it can help one person down the line, just put some, just put some good vibes out there, some good content and some knowledge I've picked up over the years. Yeah, I like it. Um, the second one being, uh, your goals kind of being a marathon and not a sprint. And it's funny because we've talked about this in a few different lights already. We talked about, you know, people want to get rich fast, not rich slow. So I think it ties into investing and it also kind of ties into just goals in life. So maybe expand on that one a little bit. Yeah. So that the tortoise and the hare, right? When I was a kid, that's uh, that that's one story that stuck out in my head. And I always keep thinking like the, the hair could have beat him. Like he had it, like he had the speed, but just, it just goes to show that if you're the fastest, that doesn't mean you're going to win the race. And it's, there's really not much more to that one. It's just, man, keeping focused on your goals. Like uh, what's this famous Sun Tzu quote, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. It really is just that simple. One step at a time, uh, kind of driving as if, you know, you're driving through a fog and you keep, you can only see 10, 20 feet in front of you. I mean, if you just see that little bit and that little bit, you know, you're going to get where you're going. So you don't need to do the whole trip or the whole thing in, in one shot. And, but yeah, but then the other side of that is to not sprint or you'll burn out the other side. You can't work 22 hours a day. That's right. impossible. And then the other thing is you can't stop because as soon as you stop, well, then you're done. I mean, you're yep. never going to get to your goal. So there's that little sweet spot in there where you just, you know, a brisk walk, I think that'll, uh, <laughs> you don't get winded, you don't get burned out. I think that'll, that'll get you to your goals. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I encourage everybody to go over and follow Russ's channel, Dapper Dividends. It's, uh, we're doing it for a year. So there's going to be a lot more I'm, knowledge drops yeah. kind of going forward. Yeah. So I'm excited to follow <laughs> along. God and, willing. Uh, <laughs> and the, the nice thing is they're, they're, like you said, you're keeping them short. So a lot of times, um, you know, there's so much content out there and it's almost relieving in a way when you see something you want to watch and it's a minute or two minutes long. It's like, all right, I can do that. Right. Versus <laughs> a, a 25 minute video or God forbid an hour video like this one. So um, I appreciate Appreciate what you're doing. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to continue to follow. Yeah. As my wife says, how are you going to talk for one or two minutes? She says, I'll believe it when I see it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll prove you wrong. You just wait and see. So it is, like it's it. a challenge for me to keep them so short and to just say one, 
couple sentences or your know, paragraph and just end it and be done but yeah I'm working on it you know it's, yeah. it's a work in progress well mutually beneficial then um one final question that I, i've started to ask everybody that comes on this podcast is if you had 24 7 access to one business mentor dead or alive uh, who would you go with and why this one's probably going to surprise you and I, I will guarantee nobody else is going to give this answer and it comes from what i was just saying about the green uh, the Green Mill Lounge is it would be Meyer Lansky. Meyer Lansky, the he was called the mob accountant. He was probably the richest gangster out, not not including like Pablo Escobar or you know some the the newer people. But man, he had to deal with both sides. He had to deal with the legal side and the illegal side. He dealt with people from both. Uh, both universes and he made it work. He not only, he was a Jewish immigrant from Poland and he was able to, he was him and uh, Lucky Luciano, Charles Luciano, they were the ones that formed the syndicate. They took the disorganized mob and said, let's make this cohesive and laser focused and get our act together. And he went into gambling. And then he, uh, later in his life, he expanded gambling down into Miami, Cuba, and Vegas. And he went to jail for a little while. They never got him on anything other than illegal gambling. Wow. And he he died a free man. He did his time in jail. And at one time he was on the, I think it was the Forbes list of the 400 richest people in America. Uh, so just just to have the knowledge and just to be able to pry in the side, inside the mind of somebody that had to deal with uh, the, the mob side and then the, the legal side of things and to not only do that, but to thrive and be one of the most successful people. I would have, I would just love to speak to, uh, to Meyer Lansky if I could. Nobody's yeah. going to tell you that, but I'll probably be the only one to give you that. And it's hard. You want to say the Buffets and the Charlie yeah. Munger and, you know, I, yeah, I'd, I'd obviously speak with them, but if I had to pick one person, I I'm just so fascinated. And that's uh, growing up here around Chicago in the Chicago area and being a wash in the, uh, the, the mob lore and the, the mobster, um, you know, panache that's around here. I like that. I think uh, you would also receive a lot of good, it's, it's funny to say this because he's a mobster, but life lessons, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's an interesting side of, of history for sure. And, and I'm sure because he was tiptoeing so much around the legality of things, it made him a lot sharper than uh, people that do everything by the book in a weird hey, way. He dealt with their money and uh, Tony Accardo, I think it was to the mob boss, Tony Accardo said a fish with his mouth closed doesn't get caught. So <laughs> that's... Uh, you know, I love them. But speaking about life and, and the, the mob and all that, um, my personal feeling on it is that the only reason that Al Capone and my wife and I were watching Narcos, I don't know if you've watched Narcos or not. I'm the one that sits here watching and I feel bad for all these people that are getting killed and shot when they have gun battles. And I say the only reason is because drugs are illegal. And that's, yeah. um, you know, nobody was being uh Nobody was being killed over alcohol until they made it illegal. And it's just, um, but you know, that's, that's getting, good. Yeah, that's a whole if you story. want to talk religion next, we can get into that too. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but anyway, we, um, yeah, Meyer Lansky, I'd love to talk to him. That'd be great. Uh, well, Russ, man, thanks so much for doing this. It was a great conversation. Go ahead and uh, go with any closing thoughts you have, and then obviously shout out where people can find you on the socials. Yeah, I think I've said everything. I mean, there's always something more to say. Just wake up every morning and I'll, I'll 
bring it back around to what I started with being my brother, that he's thankful. He's had many surgeries and he, he can never work a, a regular job. He's never going to have children. And he's thankful that he can walk. And yeah. it's as simple as that. If I look at somebody like him that has a lot of issues and he's thankful he can walk. And he's told me, he's like, you know, I, I go to these places and there's some other people that they they're in wheelchairs. They've never walked. He's like, at least I can walk. So if, if that kid can say that it really puts things in perspective mm -hmm. that you have something to be thankful for. And every day I try and name at least out loud to the universe, one thing that I'm thankful for. And it could be just something as simple as you can walk. There's many people that can't even walk. So just something that simple. And uh, yeah, I, I do my YouTube channel, uh, Dapper Dividends, and my podcast of the same name. And I'm always on Twitter, at uh, RustyRam78. Awesome. Thanks, Russ. Uh, great perspective. And I'm looking forward to doing it again in the future. Yeah, man. Anytime. Anytime I can get to it. Awesome. Have a good night.